This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. In 2022, we spent an entire year looking at the life of Jesus from the four Gospels. This year, we are exploring the rest of the New Testament in what we are calling a chronogeobiological flow. We are following the chronology of the book of Acts, then veering off to the places, people, and topics addressed in the book of Acts. Ben, welcome back after a little bit of a respite from our Life of Jesus podcast, and here we, we delve into the, the new era, looking at the rest of the New Testament. You know, the New, the new Testament, as we know it, w- was live in action, <laughs> really. The book of Acts was as it was happening. I mean, the, it was written a little bit later, but as things were going, and these letters, the epistles as we know them, were written as this first century church was taking shape and trying to find its footing in a hostile environment often. So it's going to be an interesting year. What, what's uh, something that stands out to you that you're looking forward to seeing done in your life or in the lives of others as we walk through this together? I think two things for me. I think one is uh, throughout Acts and is the, the work of the Holy Spirit, our dependence upon the Spirit um, to carry out uh, the mission and ministry that, that Christ has called us to, um, which is something that's oftentimes neglected, I think, within the Western church. Um, we are much more dependent on program, and, and not to say that programs are, are bad, but there is a lack of Holy Spirit dependence. There's also with that a lack of dependence upon prayer. And so one of the things that we see unfold through the book of Acts that we see stressed in the epistles is both the dependence, our need for the Spirit to move and to guide us, to to transform us both as individuals in a corporate community of faith as we seek to live into uh, Jesus' call upon our lives, and also our dependence upon prayer. Everything in the book of Acts, every movement of the Spirit, the the gospel uh, being proclaimed, churches, being started, um, the gospel, the spread of the gospel itself, everything was precipitated uh, by prayer. And so the emphasis that we see uh, upon the spirit and, the pr- uh, and on prayer, I think, is uh, something I'm looking forward to and to see how that moves and changes us, uh, both as individuals, but as a church as a whole. I love that. You, you think about these people that make up the story, they're the leaders in the story in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. They were people who, not long before that, were afraid. They were, they were running. They were denying they knew Jesus. They, there were all kinds of things that were going on in their lives. But when they received the Holy Spirit and when they relied on that prayer that you're talking about, they changed the world. They, they literally changed the world. The, the year that we are in is marked by the life of Jesus. Their activity was such that no one would be the same after they ministered to them. So let's just jump in in the book of Acts. We're, we're going we're gonna to start here. Again, the way we're doing it this year, we're going to follow the chronology of the book of Acts, and then at times we'll, we'll just kind of separate off from that. And really, we're not going to do it in the order of the history that it took place or the order in which the books were written but more thematically. So the first thing we'll do in a few weeks is we'll read first and second Peter because Peter is the primary person who is in action here early 
in the book of Acts. So that's the kind of way this is laid out. And we hope that those of you who are, are following along this year will gain something by that and also be challenged to live your lives differently. You know, our, our theme this year is be on mission. I mean, this is, this is about the, the mission of Jesus is what we're looking at. What is the mission he has given to us? And then how do we apply that to our lives? How can we be on mission? So let's take a look at the Great Commission. It's in Acts chapter 1. It was at the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's also here at the beginning of the book of Acts chapter 1, where the author Luke writes this, in my former book, Theophilus, and that former book was the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's kind of a a couple of sentences there that sum up the four Gospels, in, in a sense. And it's what we studied this last year. And I, I encourage all of the listeners who are here today to, as you're going through this, if you did not do that last year, to read the Gospels as well. Get Jesus right. Make sure you understand your Christology, as we would like to say, and all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Why is it so important, Ben, to really get our Christology right, who, the, the identity of Christ right, before we dive into the rest of the New Testament? I think if we don't understand who Christ is, um, we won't fully understand his call upon our life and what it ultimately means to bear witness uh, to him. Um, And so as we have studied uh, the life of Christ, as we better understand uh, who our Savior is, then it's out of that that we understand uh, our call. When we understand him as the Savior of the world and as, you know, uh, the way, the truth, the life, then that uh, conditions our life for Christ. It also conditions what it means to bear witness uh, to him uh, in the world. That's, that's so well put. We, we've, we've got to get that right as, as much as we can. And, and the, the more we study it, the more we learn, the more we grow, the, the better we'll be able to apply it to our lives and live it out in our own lives. So that's how Luke begins this book of Acts by saying, it's all about Jesus. He goes on into verse four and says, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them, the the apostles, this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There you go. That's what you spoke about a moment ago, this dependence and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. He went on in verse 6, Then they gathered around him, and they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Let's just stop there for a moment. What's going on in this exchange? I mean, this is... This is moments before Jesus ascends into heaven. So what is happening here 
in this little dialogue back and forth, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, uh, none of your business, basically. Um, so uh, <laughs> what, what's like, what's happening here in this whole story? Yeah, I mean, the it's uh, their d- default mode is to uh, go back to what they imagine um, the Messiah's purpose and at his first advent, it, which is to, in their minds, to restore, uh, or, or yeah, to restore like a, a, a geopolitical kingdom. And so to that end, that Israel uh, would be restored to its place of prominence, the Romans would be kicked out of uh, of Israel, and Jesus would then sit on the throne in Jerusalem, which would mean places of power uh, for the apostles. And so we we saw throughout the gospel accounts multiple times where they approached Jesus. You know, at, you know, even uh, James and John's John's mom coming to Jesus at one point, uh, asking uh, Jesus for you know one to sit at his left hand, one to sit at his right hand in these places of power. So this is still the lens by which they. Uh, perceive uh, Jesus's, in essence, kingdom, um, which Jesus is uh, redefining for them, uh, which we see uh, here in a second in verse eight with his call for them to go and to bear witness. So, I mean, did, were they just, were they just ignorant? I mean, you know, uh, these ten, 10 days later, these guys are going to be launching the church. And here they're still confused about what their purpose is. Does that maybe that is a weird thing, but that brings me some comfort that, <laughs> I, that you don't have to have your act all together and have everything figured out all the way as you live into obedience, because they're certainly confused. As I at least read verses six and seven, when Jesus says you're asking the wrong question, basically they're. They, they still don't quite get, he had just told them you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And their follow-up to that was, are we going to lead this geopolitical revolution? Yet, he still trusted them enough that a week and a half later, they launched the church. I mean, the Holy Spirit launched the church, but their activity it was used to, to bring this about. This, this brings, uh, strangely, at me a little bit of comfort, I, I guess. I, I, you know what I'm saying there? Yeah, and in, and in fairness to them, the the spirit has yet to come upon them to lead and to guide them. And again, it stresses our need for and our dependence upon the spirit to live into Jesus's call. And uh, that'll that conversation obviously will get fleshed out uh, throughout uh, the book of Acts. But again, it's the spirit that ultimately conditions their hearts and leads them you know, basically leads the horse to water and reveals to them what it is that they should be doing. Well, he promises them they will receive the the Holy Spirit. It is future tense, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's he restates that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and this Holy, the Holy Spirit will give them power, and the power will not be the kind of power they had just talked about by sitting at the right hand and left hand of somebody who's overthrowing governments, but it will be a power to be a witness in a, in a very hostile world 
a world which wouldn't accept them. I mean, yes, 10 days later, they're going to be launching the church, and it's a few days after that, they're thrown in the slammer. Right. You know, I mean, so it's they get it right away that this this is a it's going to be a, a rough, rough road here that they're going to have to journey down and they'll figure out together. So this this first eight that we just read is really it's like the thesis statement of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is even laid out in in that order. You, you first see that it takes place in Jerusalem and then a little bit later in Judea and and Samaria. And then finally, when Paul arrives, it's the ends of the earth. So it's a it's sort of a picture of how the book of Acts laid out how how it would happen. Of course, because Jesus said that's what you'll do, and that's how the history unfolded. At this point, I still don't know if they fully grasped it, that they fully had a handle on what was going on. And I'm going to leave that hanging there as we as we just skip a little bit down to verse twelve. Uh, in, in verses verses nine through eleven, by the way, are very important. It's the ascension of Jesus, but we've talked about that at length in the Life of Jesus podcast. But I want to go to to verses twelve through the end of the chapter because this is when they have to find a replacement apostle for Judas. Judas was the guy who betrayed Jesus. He hanged himself, so they now only had eleven. They needed twelve disciples. Why was it so important to have twelve? Apostles. It's the magic number <laughs> in Scripture. You've got, you've got 12 tribes. You've got 12 apostles. Um, it's one of those aspects of numbers of completion, I think, that we see uh, throughout Scripture. Yeah, so it, it was important, at least as they understood it, to have a 12th person who was there and who was with them. It, it's interesting if you look at verses 13. And 14, it tells who was there, all the apostles, they're named, that are there. And it says in verse 14, they all joined together continually in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You know, that, that had to be a grief-stricken place. I mean, even even though Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, the family, his mom and his brothers, uh, were without him. So there had to be a lot of emotions that are happening in this upper room, this upstairs room where they were they were staying and gathered together with these believers, and they were they were waiting. I mean, he he told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait, and they were doing that. But as they were waiting, they saw it fit to replace Judas. And to have a twelfth person who was ready to, to for things to take shape. So uh, I wonder at times. This is just me speculating. I wonder if you know, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. We already have talked about by not receiving the Holy Spirit quite yet that they misunderstood the fullness of their mission to a degree. They thought maybe it was political still. I've wondered if they got ahead of themselves in this replacement process for choosing the person who's going to take the spot of of Judas. I don't know that to be the case. It's just more speculation than anything else. 
But you know, you have any thoughts or curiosity about those kind of strange things? I don't. But that's why I have you. <laughs> but the uh, but that being said, I, I understand. I think where you're coming from in that because we look at uh, the the coming of Paul, who who in essence becomes that twelfth apostle, and we see we do. I mean, we see a pattern sometimes throughout uh, Scripture. You know, we we think about God's promise to Abraham uh, of, of that he's going to have a son, and then he and and Sarah kind of take matters into their own hands mm-hmm. uh, without necessarily uh, seeking uh, the Lord's will. I will say, at least in this case, um, there there is the appearance that this has been uh, derived through uh, prayer um, that they that they arrive at uh, Matthias uh, through those means. Um, that that being said, one of the other aspects of of this passage, though, that I think speaks in, if nothing else, to uh, the culture of of most churches is that in the midst of waiting, at least, they're praying. And I think a lot of times within mm, yeah. a church, we've got this sense of we, we know what we need to do. You know, here's program XYZ that's going to help us to accomplish it. And we just press forward and then ask the Lord on the back end to, in, in essence, bless it rather than spending time praying and waiting and seeking discernment and truly seeking God's will, because we do not wait well. I mean, if you've ever stood in a line at a Starbucks, you see that just as a people, we do not wait well. Um, We like patience. And so to see them in the upper room, uh, to see them, as as you rightly mentioned, most likely their hearts uh, burdened by, okay, Jesus is gone. What's next? And uh, rather than uh, just absolutely uh, losing their minds or becoming impatient, um, they pray and they wait. Well, that's that's a good perspective because I, I look at it and I, I think, you know, the standing in line image you're throwing out, they, they took the fast pass. And, and so and I'm not saying they did. I, just, I wonder about that at times because, you know, Matthias is chosen and he, his name, to my memory, never comes up in Scripture again. And that doesn't mean uh, everything because there were others who acted and did things. But as they were waiting and as they were praying and trying to discern, I mean, they cast lots, which, which is different, a different means of discerning the will of God than, than maybe I would do. I think that's how actually I got to Fishers. It was? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the leadership just casted lots yeah. and figured it the, out. Right? The bishop in the cabinet, or <laughs> is that not how it goes? I'm am just kidding. Toss scrabble letters, and your name came up. Right. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's uh, more than that 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 gets us to these places. So I just find it a curious. It's a question more, more than anything for me. Now, there's another place I want to look at in verse 15. We're still in Acts chapter one. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about 120. This is like a parenthetical statement that is, that is there. It's just kind of a, a tossaway line. There were 120 believers, at least gathered in that place. That's a big upper room, first of all, uh, a big place to hold that many people. But he's addressing them either in that upper space or somewhere else, perhaps. This is in those days. But 120 that's not very many for three years of ministry 
of the Son of God. We just we just looked at his life and all of his teaching and feeding thousands of people and crowds around him. And after his death and resurrection and appearances for 40 days and ascension, there's 120. That doesn't mean 120 in the world, perhaps, but it there, there might have been some people in, in outposts somewhere else in, in Israel, but 120. And, you know, I know, like, as a, as a pastor, I sometimes get fixated on church growth, and I, I might be disappointed if I went out and planted a church, and three years later, I had 120. Sure. What's, um, it, it, what's your reaction to that? I, I think that much of our church growth culture, um, again, within our Western context, is uh, is built upon visions of success rooted in the American way rather than rooted in Scripture. And so one of the things that we see throughout the book of Acts that we'll study and hit upon in, in greater detail is that there are moments when the gospel seems to spread like wildfire, like we'll see in, in uh, Ephesus. And there are other moments where, you know, two people receive Jesus and then Paul's dragged out of the city and they're trying to kill him. And, and that's just the nature of, that's just the nature of the, of the beast as it, as we are called to bear witness to Christ. There are moments when it seems like, you know, the, the fruit is just dropping from the trees. And then it, there's other moments when there seems to be an element of barrenness and we're called to be faithful. Um, in, you know, in, in living out Jesus's call. And I think too often we understand faithfulness, uh, through the lens of numbers. And so even at Pentecost, we see this miraculous display of the spirit. We see these Galileans speaking in foreign languages, presenting the gospel. And we marvel at the fact that, you know, 5,000 people come to faith in Christ that day, but that was during a, a you know, a, a, a high Jewish holy day uh, at Pentecost. And so there are tens of thousands of people that are hearing Peter's message and only 5,000 people come to Christ. Um, and so, yeah, there are those moments when we see the, the gospel in essence take fire. We see multitudes of, of people coming to Christ. And there are other moments where there might be those feelings where there's like this season in essence of, of barrenness where it feels like we're, you know, we're plowing through concrete to see a single convert. And I've experienced that in my own ministry life. There have been moments where it seems like, you know, the, there's a, a multitude of people coming to faith. And then there are other moments when it, there just seems to be almost a season of uh, a barrenness, for lack of a, a better term. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, that's a really insightful response because it's not all based upon growth charts. Yet people do matter, and we read as we'll read through the book of Acts. We'll often see that there were three thousand, there were five thousand, that was continually growing, and and more people were added to the faith. We'll see that over and over as a theme in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So that does matter, but it's not the only thing that matters. It's right. not. It's not just like the bottom line kind of a kind of a thing. And I have to wonder about these hundred and twenty people. It doesn't say anything else about them. Just mm-hmm. there was a group numbering one hundred and twenty. I have to wonder if at least some of them were among those people that were sent out on the mission trip, the 72 that were, that were sent out by Jesus. 
and were being developed because when we flip the page, we'll see in next week in Acts chapter 2, that there were thousands that came to Christ in a moment. They needed some help, and they were going to need some people to... Then we, we talk about how they devoted themselves, and they gathered in, in, from house to house, and, and they needed some, some houses to gather in. They needed some leadership. They needed some seasoned people who could mentor them. And it makes me think that perhaps Jesus was not so worried about the crowd. He, he loved them. He ministered to them. He healed them. He fed them. But I wonder if he was really focused on developing the 12 and also the 120 in some kind of way that at least a number of them were the people. We don't really, I don't think we have any evidence in scripture. I'm purely speculating, but at least for Jesus, he wasn't fixated on huge crowds being with him to the very end. He was developing, continually developing people and leadership so that they could in turn develop other people and minister to them and disciple them in the faith. I may be taking way too much from this, but it just when I first glance at it, I think, well, there's the Son of God, three years of ministry, 120 followers. Yeah, and Jesus wasn't interested in, in essence, not to overly simplify this, but he wasn't interested in having a community of faith that was a mile wide and an inch, and an inch deep. Mm-hmm. And so he spends intentional time nurturing disciples, drawing them into deeper and greater fellowship with him that they would be sent out to do the same as they bear witness to Christ. Good, good, good word. Well, that's the, that's the Acts chapter one. And next week we'll, we'll dive into Peter's redemption in Acts chapter two. That's after, remember, he was the guy who denied even knowing Jesus. And we'll look at the birth of the early church. So next time we'll look at Acts chapter two. If you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be On Mission link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the mission of Jesus, including daily Bible readings, devotions, and poems, as well as the weekly sermons and other episodes of this podcast. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcasts, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, may God bless. Mm-hmm.